Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, I'm Brad Constantine, and welcome to this Book of Mormon podcast. Isn't it exciting to get to start all over again with the Book of Mormon? We're going to be reading this time in uh, chapter 1 of 1 Nephi. So uh, let's get ready to do that. Before we get into the actual scriptures, there's a few things I want to cover. First of all, <clears throat> the uh, heading to chapter 1, or to the book of Nephi, is actually written by Mormon. Uh, the headnote is a summary, and it's part of the original text. It was not added by modern writers. All of the headnotes in the book of Mormon are part of the original record given to the prophet Joseph Smith, including the inserts preceding individual chapters like in front of Mosiah chapter 9 and Alma chapter 21. However, the, the brief summaries at the head of each chapter are later editions for the reader's convenience. And um, also President Kimball said about uh, journal keeping, he said, get a notebook, my young folks, a journal that will last through all time and maybe the angels may quote from it for eternity. So the Book of Mormon is uh, very much a journal of a family. Uh, that's how it began. and. And uh, that's what we have as a record of their family. Now, there's one thing I want you to pay attention to while we're going through First Nephi, and that is how does a prophet get called? What are some common things that, that happen around the calling of a prophet? And uh, we'll talk about that at the end of the lesson. I think this, is, this will be interesting to you. All right, <clears throat> let's go ahead then. Uh, another thing to keep in mind is that the record that we're reading from, which is the small plates of Nephi, was written about 30 years after Lehi's family left Jerusalem and arrived in the, in the Promised Land. So this is not something that he's writing at the time that these things are occurring, but rather 30 years later. The large plates of Nephi are written about 10 years after they left Jerusalem. So um, a bit of a difference there. All right, let's go to chapter 1, verse 1. I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents, therefore I was taught somewhat in all the learning of my father. Now, I'm going to interrupt a lot during the, the readings of these verses. I tend to do that with my classes, that uh, we interrupt during the middle of a verse. Notice goodly parents that he mentions here. Goodly is another expression for that they were well off or that they were wealthy. Notice he also mentions that, they're, that he was taught in all the language of his father. Now, Obviously, everybody gets taught in the language of their parents because that's the language that they hear. So what is he really saying here? There must be something more to it than just uh, he learned Hebrew or Aramaic or whatever the language was that they spoke. Lehi was known to be wealthy, and some have speculated that he was a merchant who had, who had frequent trade with Egyptian merchants. There was considerable cultural influence from Egypt in Jerusalem at this time, and Lehi certainly knew the Egyptian language. Lehi was also well-versed in the things of the Spirit, therefore Nephi was likely taught somewhat in the secular and ecclesiastical learning of his father. Hugh Nibley said in the, in the brief compass of Nephi's account, which is an abridgment of his father's own journal, whose type it imitates and continues, we are given an amazing amount of information, both general and particular, regarding conditions in Lehi's day. From this it can be shown that Lehi was an excellent claim, has an excellent claim to being a thoroughly representative man of his time and place. 
First consider what the Book of Mormon says. Lehi was a man possessed of exceeding great wealth in the form of gold and silver and all manner of riches. He had his own house at Jerusalem, yet he was accustomed to go forth from the city from time to time, and his paternal estate, the land of his inheritance, where the bulk of his fortune reposed, was some distance from the town. He came of an old, distinguished, and cultured family. Continuing verse 1, And having seen many afflictions in the course of my days, so he's talking here about some of the persecutions that he's had from his brothers. Uh, but then notice what he says, having been highly favored of the Lord in all my days. So there's quite a contrast here, isn't there? He saw both afflictions and good things happening. This is probably reference to the fact that he had a family. He had children. Um, being highly favored of the Lord meant probably that he had quite a few children. Continuing verse 1, Yea, having had a great knowledge of the goodness and the mysteries of God, what were the mysteries that he's talking about? It means a thing that you don't talk about. This is Brother Nibley again. A mystery is a thing you cannot find out or learn about by your own resources. Since it's a thing you can't possibly find out yourself, it must have been revealed, either as a primordial revelation in the beginning and handed down, or it has been revealed to you or somebody else. The mysteries are always handed down secretly. Mysteries of godliness are what we learn in the temple and in the gospel. Still in verse 1, Therefore I make a record of my proceedings in my days. What Nephi was explaining, however, was his ability to write, something not common in his day. That which enabled him to be taught in the learning of his fathers was the social station of his family. Lehi was a man of sufficient means so that his family could enjoy the blessings and of education. The text is a testimonial for the spiritual blessings that flow from the proper use of this world's wealth. And that was by Millet and McConkie from uh, Doctrinal Commentary of the Book of Mormon. Verse 2, Yea, I make a record in the language of my father. In considering the problem of the language of the plates translated by Joseph Smith, it is well to keep these facts in mind. One, the language has several different meanings and includes both spoken and written concepts, such as grammatical constructions, thought patterns, and exact phraseology. Joseph Smith translated from two different records, the small plates of Nephi and the plates of Mormon. These plates were prepared and written nearly a thousand years apart, and the language of one well might not be the language of the other. Moroni, writing approximately a thousand years later than Nephi, but having access to the small plates of Nephi, can see that their written characters have been altered during the thousand-year period. Thus, the written characters on the plates of Mormon are called Reformed Egyptian because they have been altered by the Nephites. That was by Brother Ludlow. Continuing the verse, which consists of the learning of the Jews and the language of the Egyptians. Hugh Nibley said, at the very time was the time of the Reformed Egyptian or Demotic became the official government language. We now realize that the ancient Jews could write quickly and boldly in Hebrew in an artistic flowing hand with the loving penmanship of those who enjoy writing, and the Nephites got rid of this to learn in its place the most awkward, difficult, and impractical system of writing ever devised by man. Why all the trouble? Simply to save space. What space? Space on valuable plates. When did the custom begin? With Lehi, where and when did he learn the language of the Egyptians? In Palestine, of course, before he ever thought of himself as a record keeper. Did the wealthy Lehi learn Egyptian characters so that he could sit in his house in the land of, of Jerusalem and by writing Hebrew with Demotic, a form of Egyptian writing which differed from classical Egyptian hieroglyphics? It was used for record, recording deeds, books, etc. Symbols have a few cents symbols save a few cents a month on writing materials and did he command his sons to lead to learn Egyptian so that they could save space when they kept records of course not when they learned the language neither Lehi nor his sons had any idea that someday it would be useful to, 
the keepers of records on metal plates. They had no other reason for learning Egyptian characters than to read and write Egyptian. It was only later when historians became cramped for space that they saw the advantage of continuing to write in Egyptian. And the Egyptian characters can only have been preserved for their use because the language was also preserved. The fact remains that the abridging and editing of the Book of Mormon was in a language known to no other people on earth but the Nephites. And again, that was by Hugh Nibley. And from Millet McConkey says, and to the nature of the language in which the book was written, there are no authoritative answers to be given at present. This much can be said. Moroni identified the characters with which he worked as reformed Egyptian. These characters, he said, were handed down and altered by us according to our manner of speech. The system appears to be a type of shorthand. Moroni added that the plates were not sufficiently large to make the record in Hebrew. Hebrew is a completely alphabetic language, whereas in Egyptian, a symbol can represent an entire concept. Moroni further stated that none other people knoweth our language and that the Lord had prepared means for the interpretation. Confirming this, Joseph Smith said, I translated the Book of Mormon from hieroglyphics, the knowledge of which was lost to the world. Oliver Cowdery also affirmed that the language of the Book of Mormon cannot be interpreted by the learning of this generation. Uh, verse 3, and I know that the record which I make is true, and I make it with mine own hand, and I make it according to my knowledge. For it came to pass, now I want to pause at this too because of the phrase that's being used, uh, and it came to pass. We know uh, one of the comments that uh, Mark Twain made about the Book of Mormon is that if you took out all the and it came to pass references, that it would uh, that, that would cause the Book of Mormon to only be a small pamphlet. Very funny. Thanks, Mark. Uh, verse 4, again, it came to pass, but why does the phrase, and it came to pass, appear in the Book of Mormon so much more often, page for page, than it does in the Old Testament? The answer is twofold. First, the Book of Mormon contains much more narrative, chapter for chapter, than the Bible. Second, but equally important, the translators of the King James Version did not always render Wayehi, which is the word in Hebrew, as, and it came to pass. Instead, they were at liberty to draw from a multitude of similar expressions like, and it happened, and became, or, and was. Wahayi is found about 1,204 times in the Hebrew Bible, but it is translated only 727 times as, and it came to pass, in the King James Version. Joseph Smith did not introduce such variety into the translation of the Book of Mormon. He retained the precision of, and it came to pass, which better performs the transitional function of the Hebrew word. The prophet Joseph Smith may not have used the phrase at all, or at least not consistently, in the Book of Mormon had he created that record. The discriminating use of the Hebraic phrase in the Book of Mormon is further evidence that the record is what it says it is, a translation from a language, Reformed Egyptian, which ties to the Hebrew language. And that was by Don Perry. Instead of punctuation, the original manuscript of the Book of Mormon divides up its phrases by introducing each by an and, behold, now, or it came to pass. Simply outrageous as English historical texts, dramatic texts are held together by the constant repetition of, and it came to pass. In Egyptian, these expressions were not merely adornments, they are a grammatical necessity and may not be omitted. And that was by Hugh Nibley. Continuing the verse, in the commencement of the first year of the reign of Zedekiah, Daniel Ludlow said, Lehi and his family apparently fled from Jerusalem in the first year of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. According to the Bible, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he was made king over the kingdom of Judah by Nebuchadnezzar, the leader of the Babylonian Empire. However, the exact date of Zedekiah's ascension to the throne is not mentioned in the Bible, although nearly all of the scholars agree it must have been within a few years of 600 B.C. 
continuing verse uh, 4, uh, King of Judah, my father Lehi, having dwelt at Jerusalem in all his days, and in that same year there came many prophets prophesying unto the people that they must repent, or the great city Jerusalem must be destroyed. These predictions of gloom and doom were considered to be treasonable by the king, and therefore punishable by death. Hence uh, the danger that Lehi is in. Verse 5, Wherefore it came to pass that my father Lehi, as he went forth, prayed unto the Lord, yea, even with all his heart, in behalf of his people. Personal worthiness is necessary for revelation. Verse 6, And it came to pass, as he prayed unto the Lord, there came a pillar of fire. The pillar of fire represents the glory of God, and thus the presence of divinity. Um, John Welch said, We cannot be certain who or what Lehi saw in the pillar of fire that appeared to him. Lehi could have seen God in this pillar, but since the vision of God himself is reported in the next stage of the vision, it seems more likely to me that what he beheld at this time was a messenger of God whose threatening words and presence, perhaps summoning Lehi, caused Lehi to quake and tremble exceedingly. Continuing the verse, And dwelt upon a rock before him, and he saw and heard much. Joseph Smith said, I could explain a hundredfold more than I ever have of the glories of the kingdoms manifested to me in the vision were I permitted and were the people prepared to receive them. Continuing the verse, and because of the things which he saw and heard, he did, he did quake and tremble exceedingly. And it came to pass, another, another, another comment here by Brother Nibley about that, and it came to pass, nothing delighted the critics more than the monotonous repetition of it came to pass. At the beginning of thousands of, sen of sentences in the Book of Mormon. Here again is something that Western tradition found completely unfamiliar. Instead of punctuation, the original manuscript of the Book of Mormon divides up its phrases by introducing each by an and, and behold and so on. Um, it's standard Egyptian practice. Egyptian historical texts, Grappau points out, begin in monotonous fashion always with the same stock words. At some periods, even speech is introduced with the unnecessary, I opened my mouth. Dramatic texts are held together by the constant repetition of KHPR-N, it happened that, or it came to pass. In Egyptian, these expressions were not merely adornments, uh, but their necessities and may not be omitted. However bad they are in English, they are nothing to be laughed at in Egyptian. Continuing verse 7, that he returned to his own house at Jerusalem, and he cast himself upon his bed, being overcome with the Spirit and the things which he had seen. And being thus overcome with the Spirit, he was carried away in a vision, even that he saw the heavens open, and he thought he saw God sitting upon his throne. This is a heavenly council scene that he is seeing here. That's by Millet McConkie. Surrounded with numberless concourses of angels in the attitude of singing and praising their God. And it came to pass that he saw one, notice that one is capitalized, and that's about Jesus, descending out of the midst of heaven as he beheld that his luster was above that of the sun at noonday. All prophets testify of Christ, verse 10, and he also saw twelve, meaning twelve apostles, others following him, and their brightness did exceed that of the stars in the firmament. And they came down and went forth upon the face of the earth, and they first came and stood before my father and gave unto him a book and bade him that he should read. These are a clue to the question I asked in the beginning. Many true prophets have a book given to them. Adam, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Moses, Lehi, John the Revelator. At the beginning of most dispensations, a book is given to the newly called prophet. Moses received tablets. Lehi was given a book to read concerning the destruction of Jerusalem. Ezekiel was given a roll of a book containing the Lord's message for the house of Judah in his day. Uh, John the Revelator on the Isle of Patmos was shown a book with seven seals. Is it any wonder, then, that the Lord would provide a book containing the fullness of the gospel as part of the restitution of all things? And that was by Elder Merrill Bateman. 
Verse 12, And it came to pass that as he read, he was filled with the Spirit of the Lord. And he read, saying, Woe, woe unto Jerusalem, for I have seen thine abominations. Yea, and many things did my father read concerning Jerusalem, that it should be destroyed, and the inhabitants thereof, many should perish by the sword, and many should be carried away captive into Babylon. That which Lehi read in the book dealt primarily with the destruction that was to come upon the unrepentant nation of Judah, the nation to which the Lord had called Lehi to raise a warning voice. Verse 14, And it came to pass that when my father had read and seen many great and marvelous things, he did exclaim many things unto the Lord, such as, Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God Almighty. Thy throne is high in the heavens, and thy power and goodness and mercy are over all the inhabitants of the earth. And because thou art merciful, thou wilt not suffer those who come unto thee, that they, that they shall perish. And after this manner was the language of my father in the praising of his God. For his soul did rejoice, and his whole heart was filled because of the things which he had seen, yea, which the Lord had shown unto him. And now I, Nephi, do not make a full account... All scripture is incomplete. No scriptural record can contain more than a fragmentary account of what a prophet taught or experienced. At the conclusion of his gospel, John the Revelator said, There are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose, that even the world could not contain the books that should be written. That was by Millet McConkie. Continuing verse 16. Uh, a full account of the things which my father hath written, for he hath written many things which he saw in visions and in dreams, and he also hath written many things which he prophesied and spake unto his children, of which I shall not make a full account. As I mentioned, this is Nephi's abridgment of the book of Lehi. First Nephi chapters 1 through 8 are apparently an abridgment of the book of Lehi. From that point on, Nephi became an author rather than an editor. The first 116 pages that Joseph Smith translated, which was subsequently lost, came from the book of Lehi. Verse 17, But I shall make an account of my proceedings in my days. Behold, I make an abridgment of the record of my father upon plates which I have made with mine own hands. Wherefore, after I have abridged the record of my father, then will I make an account of mine own life. Brother Ludlow says, in verse 17, Nephi states that he is going to make an abridgment of his father's record upon his own plates, apparently the small plates of Nephi, and then will I make an account of mine own life. Nephi seems to be a synopsis. Uh, chapters 1 through 8 is a synopsis by Nephi of the record of Lehi. Chapter 9 is an explanatory and transitional chapter. And finally, at the beginning of chapter 10, Nephi states that he is now going to give an account upon these plates of my proceedings. Verse 18, Therefore I would that ye should know that after the Lord had shown so many marvelous things unto my father, Lehi, yea, concerning the destruction of Jerusalem, behold, he went forth among the people and began to prophesy and to declare unto them concerning the things which he had both seen and heard. And it came to pass that the Jews did mock him because of the things which he testified of them, for he truly testified of their wickedness and their abominations, and he testified that the things which he had seen, which he saw and heard, and also the things which he read in the book manifested plainly of the coming of a Messiah and also the redemption of the world. And when the Jews heard these things, they were angry with him, yea, even as with the prophets of old, whom they had cast out and stoned and slain, and they also sought his life, that they might take it away. These became treacherous times for those like Lehi, who spoke against Jerusalem, or the pompous king of Judah. Consider the fact of Uriah ben Shemaiah, who, like Jeremiah, prophesied against Jerusalem during the reign of Jehoiakim from 609 to 598 BC. Learning that the king sought his life, Uriah fled into Egypt, but he was pursued, captured, and brought back to Jerusalem, where he was executed and dishonorably buried. Uh, the same fate might have been Jeremiah's, but for the special intervention of certain powerful elders and princes, such a death could have truly have been Lehi's fate as well. And that was by John Welch. 
Continuing verse 20, But behold, I, Nephi, will show unto you that the tender mercies of the Lord are over all those whom he hath chosen. To be chosen, to be or become chosen, is not an exclusive status conferred upon us. This is by Elder Bednar. Rather, you and I ultimately determine if we are chosen. Now, and Elder Bednar goes on to say this, Please note the use of the word chosen in the following verses from the Doctrine and Covenants. Behold, there are many called, but few are chosen. And why are they not chosen? Because their hearts are set so much upon the things of this world and aspire to the honors of men. I believe the implication of these verses is quite straightforward. God does not have a list of favorites to which we must hope our names will someday be added. He does not limit the chosen to a restricted few. Rather, it is our hearts and our aspirations and our obedience which definitely determine that definitively determine whether we are counted as one of God's chosen. Enoch was instructed by the Lord on this very point of doctrine. Please note the use of the word choose in these verses. Behold, these are thy brethren, they are the workmanship of mine own hands, and I gave unto them their knowledge in the day I created them, and in the garden of Eden gave I unto man his agency. And unto thy brethren have I said, and also given commandment, that they should love one another, and that they should choose me their father. As we learn in these scriptures, the fundamental purposes of the gift of agency were to love one another and to choose God. Thus, we become God's chosen and invite his tender mercies as we use our agency to choose God. Continuing the verse, because of their faith, so to make them mighty even unto the power of deliverance. All we have to do is live up to the commandments of God and we can destroy all the munitions. And there is no nation under the sun today or yesterday or tomorrow that can touch us. Is that fanciful? This is President Kimball speaking. Is that wishful thinking? Not if you believe in God. If you know that God lives and that Jesus is Christ and that they have the world and everything within their power, it is not fanciful. This America is no ordinary country. It is a choice land, choice above all other lands. It has a tragic and blood past, but a glorious and peaceful future if its inhabitants really learn to serve their God. And then Elder Bednar goes on and says, I testify that the tender mercies of the Lord are real and that they do not occur randomly or merely by coincidence. The Lord's tender mercies are the very personal and individualized blessings, strength, protection, assurances, guidance, loving kindnesses, consolation, support, and spiritual gifts which we receive from and because of and through the Lord Jesus Christ. The simpleness, the sweetness, and the constancy of the tender mercies of the Lord will do much to fortify and protect us in the troubled times in which we do now and will yet live. When words cannot provide the solace we need or express the joy we feel, when it is simply futile to attempt to explain that which is unexplainable, when logic and reason cannot yield adequate understanding about the injustices and inequities of life, when mortal experience and evaluation are insufficient to produce a desired outcome, and when it seems that perhaps we are so totally alone, truly we are blessed by the tender mercies of the Lord and made mighty even unto the power of deliverance. Now, I want to go back to uh, my, or my original question, and that is, what are some patterns that we can see in calling of a prophet? And so as we listen or as we think about what uh, what we just read in chapter one about Lehi, let me go back to the beginning here and, and uh, compare Lehi to Joseph Smith. In verse 4, it mentioned that there were many prophets, and for Joseph Smith, he read the words of the prophets, in, and in, especially in James chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, verse 5 in, in 1 Nephi chapter 1, he goes forth or leaves Jerusalem to pray. 
Joseph goes out of his house into the grove to pray. Verse 8 and 9, he sees God in Jesus Christ. Joseph Smith also sees God in Jesus Christ in the grove. Uh, verses 11 to 13, he reads from a book. Joseph Smith obtains the gold plates from which he translated the Book of Mormon. Verse 18, he preached, Lehi preached what he read in the book. Um, Joseph Smith also preached what he read in the book and what he had translated in the book. And then verses 19 to 20, the Jews mocked Lehi and wanted him dead. And Joseph Smith was also mocked and they sought to kill him and eventually did. I bear testimony that the Book of Mormon is true, that Joseph Smith was a true prophet of God and that the Book of Mormon was translated by the gift and power of God. That it is translated material, it's taken from uh, Reformed Egyptian, but in a Hebrew context. I bear testimony to these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I hope you like this podcast. If you do, stay tuned and you'll see a, you'll get another one next time. Thank you very much. Talk to you later. Bye.